The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. Well, John, welcome. Um, today, I want to talk about the world of international teaching. Uh, I want to talk to you about what it's like to be an international teacher, uh, what it was like transitioning and being a teacher when you as, as maybe a second, third or fourth career instead of being a teacher straight off the bat. Uh, I think that's really interesting, but I'll just preface and say that, you know, my name's Steve. I'm an international teacher. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that with an American accent because I'm Australian. Uh, I'm living in Colombia. I'm working at an American international school and, and it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, and John, I know that you're living in Thailand. You're working at a, at an American school as uh, American school. It's a, what is it, John? Exactly. Tell me. Uh, actually it's just, we, you know, it's classified as a bilingual school. So it's, it's not, um, specifically British or American at all. Actually, it's kind of like a fusion between the two. Um, so, uh, it's, you know, it's got Thai, and then they have a lot of lessons, different lessons in English. But like I said, like my textbooks are all come from England. So there's quite a few extra vowels in the, the, the words. Mm, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Those, those, those ridiculous U's yeah. that get in the way. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's fairly flexible. You can do what you want. You just got to, um, you know, um, be a native speaker of either England or the United States. And they, they, don't, they don't specify what's preferable, you know. Yeah, no, fair enough. I just want to get it really clear for anyone that's listening so that they can sort of know who we are. So you're American and you're teaching at a bilingual school and you're in Thailand um, and you're teaching English as a second language and you also teach a bit of lit literature, right? Uh, yeah, yes, somewhat. It's under development. I mean, it's, it's in the process of being worked out. So uh, just a quick about me, I think people are starting, you know, most of you know who I am, but I'm my name is John and I'm from Alaska uh, in the United States, which is a really remote, disconnected uh, state. Um, I have taught in the US in Las Vegas and I've taught uh, in uh, various other countries, just, well, basically just two other ones besides Thailand, Colombia and China. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, so uh, yep, I'm an American teaching in Thailand and uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool experience, but I, I do teach like the the basic reading, writing, grammar, listening, and speaking, right? The basic uh, abilities course um, for all of my grade 10 students. But then I have uh, two additional courses and one is called, it's uh, EFE, which is just English for exams. However, I'm the 10th grade teacher and this is my first year teaching the 10th grade. And I said, uh, no, I'm not going to just teach them how to take exams, like, because in 11th and 12th grade, that's what they do. They teach them IELTS. They prepare them for TOEFL and this and that. So what I decided to do is to focus uh, on just attaining the abilities that you need, including critical listening, right? Extracting uh, specific details, uh, summarization. Um, I'm also giving them the rudiments of language, like we're studying linguistics, uh, morphology, semantics, syntax, uh, so that I can improve their vocabulary significantly. So when they find a word they don't know, they can pick it apart. Uh, so I've broken that one up. Sorry to go on so long, but I'm breaking that one up into like four different units. And one is just going to be the, the um, like I said, linguistics, like a focus on 
uh, morphology, the words, roots, prefixes, how to break these things apart, how to construct new words. Then I'm going to go into some um, syntax, which is like the uh, order and arrangement of words within a sentence so that the students can really use grammar to their benefit, like using the passive voice, you know, um, um, conditional statements, um, compound, simple, complex sentences so that they can change the shape of their writing to make it more appealing to the reader. And also, so they sound smarter, you know? And then, uh, well, the second unit's gonna be uh, longer writing. So like persuasive and opinion-based or compare and contrast uh, essays. Well, paragraphs first, then essays. My third unit is going to go into creative writing. And, you know, some teachers are like, oh, that sounds awesome, but what does that have to do with exams? Well, it's very important because word choice, right? Like in creative writing, word choice and descriptions through the senses become extremely important. So they're going to boost their vocabulary by using different words to talk about the sounds they hear, the tastes they taste, the smells, the, you know, they're gonna learn to paint pictures with words. And I think that's really important. So really it's like heavy vocab, uh, vocabulary, um, creative, right? To, to have them become comfortable to create on their own. And um, uh, yeah, and uh, of course, listening, there'll be some, a lot of listening to podcasts and stuff like that and extracting information, but. Sorry. So that was, that's, that's, that's all. John, I'm going to have to, John, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to cut all of that out. That was just too long. <laughs> no, no, that, that was a, it was a very detailed answer. And I think you've just intimidated anyone that wants to be an ESL teacher that, you know, it sounds very complicated. Um, but you know, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's lots of jargon there, but you know, it's the mechanics of teaching is pretty cool. Right. And when you get into it, um, but like, if I was to ask you like, what's, and I, I think I really want this podcast, like for people that maybe are considering being a teacher or people that, um, are thinking about teaching abroad or, you know, talking about sharing our ideas of being a teacher, um, an international teacher, like, so, you know, I guess I want to educate them and, and share that knowledge of, you know, cause we do have a very particular experience, uh, which, which is very unique. It's not very common to be an international teacher. Uh, what would, how would you describe, like, what is it like to be an international teacher? Like, what is it like to live in another country, teach English day to day? Like, how does it feel, uh, in an, you know, neck deep in another culture country, teaching your language to Thai kids? What does that feel like? Well, there's a lot of, it's, it's great. It, it feels great, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like, um, a microcosm of life, right? There's ups, there's downs, there's, there's the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, but, as long as you're on like somewhere in the middle, there's mostly joy, right? There's a lot of like, like joy, a lot of like appreciation, a lot of like, wow, you know, wonder, like a feeling of being blessed. So um, yeah, I, like I said, it's very, it's complex, but for those that are thinking about teaching abroad, I really, I think it's a wonderful experience. 80% uh, of it is love. The other 20% we can save for a, a different time in the podcast. <laughs> it's insanity. Just slowly losing your mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that's teaching in general though, you know, like yeah. it could be like, that's something I'd like to talk about later. Like the difference between teaching abroad or for you, your experience and my experience, do, would we prefer teaching abroad or teaching back home? So I think that would be an interesting to just. Yeah, no, we definitely got to tackle that. Definitely got to tackle that because I think it's very, very relevant, but you know, 
when you say it's a lot of love and caring, like how do you break the barrier, break through the, the cultural differences to connect with your students? Because I find that's kind of like the kind of the hardest thing. If you go to another country, it's like, all right, I'm going to teach Thai kids English. How do you connect with them? Like, you know, what do you, have you figured out ways? Well, I'm sure you figured out ways to kind of joke with them and connect with them. Like the, is it a particular sense of humor or is it a particular way of being? What works really good with Thai kids in particular? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think like just communicating with them, listening, um, uh, you know, building rapport by asking them, like learning who they are and their interests, you know. Um, you know, I, I work at a specific school, but if I worked out in the country, uh, it might be a lot different. Actually, I know it would be a lot different. Um, but I think the bottom line is, is that people are the same in general and if you show them respect and if you make them feel that you're interested in them um, and that you care about their likes uh, they'll open up to you and when they open up to you you learn more about them and you you know you learn how to deal with them right so um, uh, you know I'm a pretty loud obnoxious uh, abrasive person at times when I say abrasive, I don't mean it in a bad way. I'm just, I'm just like in people's face. And I think at first, you know, I had to tone that back. Right. And I joke a lot. Americans are very sarcastic. And I think that that is something I had to tone back to, but really the only way for me to teach the best is to be who I am, is to be my, myself. Right. And so that's the way I'm most comfortable. That means I will do better. Um, but basically just be conscious of like sarcasm. That was one thing I had to do. And um, just be a good listener, be communicative with them. Don't treat them like lesser beings, right? You got to treat them like you would want to be treated. And that's, I hope that answered your question, but that's how yeah, I deal it's, with it. It sounds like you're saying that you got to be respectful of the different cultures. And so with the American way, sometimes it's, it's not the best way to connect with Thai kids because they're maybe a little bit more introverted. Um, and then their relationship with the teacher to student might be um, a little bit more, I, I don't know, like they, they might, they might be very respectful and they might be um, they might revere you to a degree. Right. So being sarcastic, and them not being able to understand that you're being sarcastic is, is not helpful. All right. For, no, it's not. It can make yeah. Things, like yeah, damage make, relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like you said, introverted Thai people compared to other Asians are actually quite extroverted. Not all of them, right. They're still, it's still a group of people. So you're going to have introverts and extroverts, but in general, they're pretty loud outgoing people. But I think the difference that, that's very important is that this culture is one of um, saving face, right? Like, mm. so you don't want to like put people on the spot in front of other, like, so if, even if a student's behaving badly, I've learned not to like call them out loudly and like shame them in front of a group. Cause that's just not good in Thailand. It's not something you can do. It's not accepted because it's their culture, right? Like they don't do it uh, to each other. Uh, it's so you got to be careful, talk to them individually, like adults outside of the big group. Yeah. And do you have a small amount of students that you can get to know a lot of them intimately and, and figure out like who they are and what they're into and, or is it, you you've got bigger classes and bigger class and it's a bit harder to establish one-on-one -on -one relationships. Um, well, I'm lucky because I moved up into upper secondary and the classes just generally get smaller as you go up. 
Um, I used to have 30 students per class, um, which is pretty big. Like I know I that think that's a lot. Well, it is a lot, especially like on an international school standard or like or a quality school standard. But man, it's not a lot when you compare it to like some of the government schools here. And government schools, for those of you that don't know, are just like public schools is basically what they are. They're funded by the government, controlled heavily by the government. Um, and those classes have 40 to 50, man, 40 to 50 students in a class. And that is insanity because to me, 30 is hard to deal with. But now I'm down to 20. So I have 20 per class. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Well, yeah, uh, we're talking about, you know, getting oh, to know individual students. Yeah. And, and that's yeah, the yeah. same. That's the same in Thailand as well, uh, in Colombia as well, because I'm teaching in Colombia and um, at the international school, I'm very lucky to work at, I feel very blessed to work at that school as well. And I have, I had my first semester there. I had a group, one class of six students and just the way the classes panned out. And now that I have my average classes around 10, 10 to 12 students in a room. Um, but yeah, in the public schools, it's 43 to 45 is, is the average. And that's just, that's just, a, I think that's exploitation and abuse because you can't connect with 45 students in the one classroom and you can't get to know your students. And if you're teaching four or five groups, you know, four groups is 180 students or whatever. And, you know, five groups is more than that. You know, it's just, it gets to the point you're teaching over 200, 220 kids. Like how the hell are you going to keep track of 220 kids? You know, it's just grading and you just, you just can't develop intimate relationships, but Thai, uh, Colombian kids, you know, are very unique as well. Like I, I find they, they've this as a culture, they're very extroverted. Um, they, they love the joking around. They love the connection. They, they enjoy honesty and, you know, it's, it's, I think, um, I really agree with that. You got to connect with them as, as individual human beings and also kind of click with them in their culture as well. Like understand how their culture works and then find good approaches that work within that so that you can use that as a bit of leverage and, and connect, but also steer them back in the right direction. Um, you know, maybe using it as, as classroom management, behavior management or connecting or, you know, whatever to, to get a positive outcome. And that's a, that, I think that's a real skill and craft and, Every country I'm sure is different. Every school I'm sure is different to a degree. Like I was talking to two American teachers yesterday and they were talking about their experiences working in inner city schools in the United States and talking about all the, all the issues they had with kids and just how brutal some of the kids, just the, the environment is very, you know, just the kids from the hood, kids, Latino kids, black kids, Asian kids, just you know, a totally different culture, like kids, you know, lots of aggression, lots of violence, um, teachers would be threatened. You know, it's just, it's just wild, man. You, but teaching, the one thing I love about teaching is that you become the teacher that of your environment, your environment shapes you more than anything else I find. And if you're used to that, you know, public school, inner city, American school, I think you just become tough. Like you, you develop real character and you, you have to learn how to connect with those kids. Otherwise they'll destroy you, you know? Um, yeah. But if you work at a very cozy international school, like I work at, it's kind of like, you know, it's a lot of the work's done for you. It's, it's then it's just kind of like, you know, teaching the, 
teaching at the right rigor level and and connecting with the kids and just just not being a douchebag and then you know caring about the kids and you should be able to establish relationships quite easily because a lot of the work's being done for you very different yeah yeah absolutely so how long have you been teaching in columbia now my god well, I've been in Columbia for six years. My first year, I was a volunteer. So I taught English as a, as a co-teacher for nine months. Um, so to answer your question, I've been teaching for five years in Columbia. Uh, and I, then I went from the volunteer position into my first uh, bilingual school where I met you in Vija Vizencio, um, taught those group of kids there for a year. Uh, yeah, and then I went to another private school very small humble private school for six months as i was waiting for my contract at um another my first international school in bukaramanga and then from i taught there for three years at my first international school there in colombia and then i went from there to my current school in bogota which is another big american school and um so your journey like you began as a volunteer um and yep. How, how much autonomy did you have? I, I'm interested in the journey, like your autonomy from the beginning to now. Um, do you yeah. find yourself able to teach the things you want to, or is it really strict? Um, do you find yourself having to be in control of all the classroom management, especially as a volunteer, and then compared to now, where you are? Well, I guess comparing the two international schools that I work at, both American, they they basically have the same the same skills, but... At my current school, there's a lot more um, structure in the sense of curriculum. So they're like, well, we want you to teach. And then we, we, we collaborate and we co-plan and we create units of work. And it's so that, so that ideally the kids get a good scope and sequence over the whole year. Whereas in my last school, and I think that's fantastic. And, and the teachers are tight and the kids, they work really hard and they do a lot. Uh, I think we're sometimes a bit rushed and the kids sometimes are a bit pressured but it's just the nature of, you know, if you want to get through, uh, you know, a book in eight weeks or Shakespeare in eight weeks or, you know, 10 poems in eight weeks, it's, you've got to work hard, um, you know, and get, you know, do 10 poems. And then the kids are writing poetry and taking them through writing workshops all at the same time. My other school had a lot more autonomy. Basically, they're like, listen, you're the teacher, you know, you know, American curriculum, just teach what you think is appropriate. And then, you know, collaborate with the other teachers to kind of make sure you're on the same page and you know they were very very lax um which can be great if you're an experienced teacher but i find as a teacher unless even if you taught for a long time like i collaborate with teachers that have got 20 years experience and i've got a lot less and i find that they glean things off me right i've got a lot less experience because it's kind of like such a craft where it's all about ideas and trying things and you know and there's always new tools you can use you know, it's, it's kind of to be isolated, to be an island is, is not beneficial, even if you're an experienced teacher, because you can, you can be an effective experienced isolated teacher, but you're not always, um, you're just, you're not benefiting from the ideas of others, right? So I think that's a huge advantage. Um, and then my, you know, Columbia is a funny place to teach, but I think they're probably the, the best two to compare it with. But the school that I work with right now is, is a school that prides itself on academic rigor and, you know, good SAT scores and, and you know, they do a lot of AP courses. So it, it's, a, it's a very serious school. Kids pay a lot of money to be there. So they, you know, the parents want to know that the kids are really learning and are competitive with an American school that would be in 
in, in literally in, in the, in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's yeah. So it's intense. Um, yeah, it's my, it's intense. This is my first year at this international school, uh, this one here in Bogota. And it's been really tough because it's kind of like, all right, we're going to teach this. And that's sort of, you know, but they would do the way it was planned and the syllabus was kind of already there. Uh, however, it was just like, all right, well, you know, you've, I'd have two weeks to prepare lots of content, you know, for, for a new book or a poem or whatever. And that's hard. Um, that's hard. You know, teaching at a, a, a different school is always hard. But man, this year as a teacher, I feel like, bro, the connections I've built with students and the, 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 the quality teaching that I was able to execute and just the, the rigor, you know, I've just, it's just been, it's been the hardest year of teaching in my life, I think this year, but it's also been like the most satisfying, you know, it's been the most satisfying, definitely. And teaching is one of those things, man, when you put your heart and soul into it and, and you, you feel like your students learn, you know, there is a, a deep sense of gratification that comes with it or satisfaction or both. I think satisfaction is a better word, right? Cause it's like, you know, I, I know that when I finish at that, this academic year, when we wrap up in three and a half weeks, I'm like, I gave those, I taught the shit out of those kids, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I know that they, they can do 90% of the things that I wanted them to do. And, you know, that makes me really happy. So, you know, that's, I feel like that's a, you know, you're, you're, you're serving, right. You know, as a teacher, you're, you're really, you're giving a lot of yourself, um, yeah. a lot and of I energy. Think like, well, absolutely. You know, and for those that are thinking of teaching abroad, I'd like to just kind of like um, put this in layman terms for them. You're listening to two teachers who have, well, whose passion is teaching. And so, we're talking about pretty high level education. Um, I do want like people that are, are, are I don't want to scare people out of teaching abroad, right? Like, cause it can sound scary. Like what I'm talking about building units of work and what you're doing, like really intense stuff, teaching poetry and literature, you know, there's different levels of teaching abroad. So you don't have to be that, uh, you don't have to teach at such high levels, right? There's a whole spectrum. So if you're a new teacher, or if you just want to try teaching and live abroad, you can be of use to, to, to global communities everywhere. Um, there's different levels. There's ESL schools. So these ESL schools, right, are just getting a basic understanding of an English. And I, it's not as intense as the jobs that Stephen and I have um, there. It's much more relaxed. It's more like vocabulary, you know, singing songs, reading stories, um, you know, PowerPoints, just talking with the kids, um, sharing your knowledge, right? So there's there's that level. Um, it's There's very introductory uh, level of teaching jobs. So you don't have to be a master teacher. You don't even have to have a degree in teaching. Um, and you don't have to, oftentimes you just have a textbook and you're teaching to the textbook. Um, but I think so. So for all those of you that wanna try it, it's not as hard as we're making it sound. It's just, we've chosen, uh, Stephen and myself have chosen the, pa the path of an actual teacher, right? And um, like a career as a profession. And as you get better, uh, you always realize you can continue to get better. And as you get better, the rewards and the fruits blossom, right? And you just start going, wow, this is what teaching is all about. So where Stephen and I are is 
on a path for professional growth and becoming the best teacher in the world. That's our goal, right? That's our goal or the best teacher we can be because we're only comparing against ourselves. But there are so many jobs out there. It can be really relaxed. Um, Steven said he was an, a, a volunteer. I too was. It was a co-teaching. It was super easy. I just built like PowerPoints on like whatever the topic was. And I tried to make it fun and I'd have like an activity. And we got paid to do that. Now the pay wasn't very good, but that's okay. We got paid to live abroad. We learned the, the beginning of what teaching really was. We got to see another teacher in action. Um, so there's a lot of jobs like that. It doesn't have to be super intense, but Stevens works at an international school and a pretty darn good one. So we're talking about like top tier schools. You don't have to do that. Okay. There's all sorts of levels. There's even institutes. You can teach abroad at an institute and it's not an actual, an actual school. It's a learning space. Uh, so anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, for those of you thinking of the teach abroad, it's not just one thing. It's not going to be nearly as intense as what we're talking about at times. Um, and it's a really fun experience. It's how you grow, right? You get out of your comfort zone and you go meet people and you help people. Even at lower levels of teaching, you're really helping these kids and they love you. You know, you're an interesting person. So get out there and try it, guys. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, but anyways, uh, speaking of that, those of you that want to try it, uh, Stephen, you, you mentioned uh, how uh, pernicious or dangerous is the fear of change. So how does this fear, like for those teachers thinking about it, how does fear play into the decisions they make, whether they're going to teach abroad or not? Yeah, that, and that's a great question that we mapped out because I feel like, as you said, it's, it's a great experience. I feel like for me, it's one of the best things I ever did, right? Um, and as you said, you don't have to start, you know, with, with something super serious, you can, you can work your way up to it. And like, there's a bunch of different stepping stones and teaching ESL English as a second language is a lot of fun. And if, if it means that's how you do it to get experience, uh, and then work your way up and, and you experiment. And even that can become a very serious career teaching, you know, English as a second language, teaching linguistics, etc. You know, you can get master's degrees in that and become very well paid. Um, but I think, for me personally, I think it was the best thing I ever did because the, the growth as an individual, professionally, personally, and, and the cultural absorb, um, absorbing the culture, was, it's just such a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, and, and that's not even mentioning the, the impact that you have on the kids that you work with. So maybe I should reframe that and say that, you know, the impact on the kids, I think is the best thing, right? Because you're, you're doing it, you're serving, right? And it's like, all right, they're going to remember you. And if, if you're quirky, and you're funny, and you're a bit sarcastic, and you, you know, even if you piss kids off or whatever, they're always going to remember that American teacher, uh, John, that, you know, did those things and, and, you know, sung those songs and um, taught those stories, right? They're not going to forget you. But it's just what really concerns me or what I think is just it's, and I think it's part of our human nature is that a lot of people seem to be just very scared of change and the fear of going to another country. Uh, that might be really scary for someone, uh, just, just that. So the fear of going to another country, picking up another career or learning another career, teaching English abroad, it's, it is, can be very um, intimidating and overwhelming. But I, I feel like, you know, if, if you focus on the drive and the passion, and if you focus on, on what the, the, your purpose as an individual is like, I want to be a great teacher and impact kids. A lot of that other stuff can melt away. 
Um, yeah. and, and you can just be like, all right, well, that's what I'm here for. And I'm willing to, to, uh, I'm willing to front, I'm willing to, you know, deal with or manage the, the fears because the, the purpose and the goal is more powerful. Right. But I think that the problem that's is with, one, that's yeah. once you're, that's once you're actually abroad. So we're, t- yeah, uh, what you're saying is, is true. I agree 100%. But that's when you're actually you've already taken the leap, right? The leap well, I mean, like if, even if you haven't, if your focus is I want to be a great teacher, yeah. that could be enough of the motivation and the and the the drive and the the push, you know, the the push to make that decision, um, and that could be enough to let those fears dissipate, right? Because if you're focused on I want this goal and I want to be at a, uh, you know, I want to impact kids and I want to live abroad and I want to have that experience and, and, you know, feel that and smell that and do that, you know, and, and that could be stronger that the, the, the potential pleasure of participating and contributing is much stronger than the fear of, 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 of change. But I'll just say this, man, is that fear is fear of change. I think is so pernicious. It's so dangerous. I feel like a lot of people, when I hear people talk, it's kind of like they, their mind just manifests different um, excuses of why they should stay in their current state. And I feel like they're not aware it's that's fear of change, manipulating them to say, Oh, you know, you've got this and it's great. And you've got this and it's great. What would you change? And, you know, why would you sacrifice your status or integrity or, you know, you know, sacrifice your, your position, you know, and, and your stability when, you know, you put it all on, on the line for something that isn't even really real. So I feel like it's, it's, it's very dangerous. And I feel like it can hold a lot of people back from, you know, international teaching and anything else. So, so would you say that's what stops the majority of people that maybe have an idea or, or a desire to teach abroad, um, but they just don't? Do you think it's that fear of change? Is that the number one, like, uh, roadblock to, to these people's fulfilling their dreams of teaching or living in a different country? I think it is, man. I think it's just, it's people are just ultimately, you know, as a biological need, we want to protect ourselves and protect the things that we have and protect our sustenance and nourishment and shelter. And it, it just uproots all of that. Uh, so I, and I think it might not even be a conscious thing, but I think underneath that's what's happening. It's just, Oh God, that's just, this way too intense. Right. And it could be fear of changes. Lots of, you know, not just in obviously teaching abroad, but lots of other aspects of, of, of change and, and moving and transcendence, etc. But I feel like that's it. And I think if you're aware of that, then you can really look it in the face and say, okay, is it, why am I not really doing this? Is it because I, you know, is it because it's not practical is it economically not realistic or is it because I'm just simply scared that things are going to go badly and I'm going to be out in the cold, you know, with no money and broke. Right. And that's a, that's a fair fear. It's a reasonable fear to have. Um, so fear of change. Yeah. Is that to protect us? Right. But, you know, I think you've got to be aware of that. And as I said, the mind invents all kinds of excuses and it's just like, bro, no, that's, that is just your mind. So I think that's really important to be aware of. Um, but I think you experienced it, those things personally when you first took the leap, because you said you've been teaching in Colombia for six years. Um, did you experience any of those fears? Like, did you have second thoughts when you were like organizing, buying that ticket, applying for that volunteer job? Did you ever wonder to yourself, what am I giving up? Like, 
am I throwing my life away? Like, you know what I mean? Like, am I going to survive? Did you have any of those fears or is that, that just... Absolutely, man. I was on the plane flying into Bogota thinking that, geez, I hope I don't get kidnapped and killed. Right. I was just like, I, I was like, oh, there is a chance that I might not never come home. Right. And you have these crazy thoughts of, right. Maybe this is a ridiculously bad idea. Just pure thoughts manifesting out of pure, you know, just real visceral fear. Right. That, that I definitely experienced that, but I kind of um, hoped that I would be okay and i had a bit of faith that you know like just try not to do anything too silly and i think you'll be okay and i've matured a lot in the last six years i think through teaching and through uh, you know but did i have those fears 100 you know 100 and you know that there's so much social conditioning that comes with you know the great american the great australian dream of you know traditional workplace stable career family if you uproot that um, and this is something we've spoken about before. If you, you know, if you decide to throw out the monopoly board, or if you decide to, to create something that's a bit um, unorthodox, then that can that can cause a lot of emotional internal distress because it's like, holy shit, you know, like maybe I could be in Colombia and I'm never gonna never gonna be able to buy a house in my own country, or never gonna have lots of money, or I'm never gonna marry get married or never going to have children or it's going to be too difficult. You know, you just have all this fear. Um, and it's a lot of that social programming. So you've got to be really aware of that to say, well, is this something, is this something that I should really consider? Or is it something that it's just holding me back? It's not really real or even better. I think you, it's all, it's, it's good to think that what really is life, right? What is a proper life? And the, orthodox or traditional work, university, job, one job, career, you know, marriage, family, you know, like the, life is not always that clean cut. It could be, you could find um, a, a Colombian girl and get married and have a kid and travel to different countries and buy, you know, like your, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be as clean cut as what, you know, we're told it is, Right. We don't have to be, care so much about certain things. We can reprioritize. We can recondition ourselves. So I don't know. I think we have to look at a lot of our own inner kind of conditioning and say, well, why do I feel this? Is it benefiting? Is it really benefiting me? And is it hindering me from doing really what I want? I think yeah. that's worth considering. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you know, and there are a lot of fears. I had a lot of fears too, you know, like of giving up the good life. Like, you know, I had like, uh, I had, well, multiple careers that were, you could call them golden tickets. They guaranteed me excellent healthcare, excellent retirement. You know, you just do your 20 to 30 years, you're done. That's it. You know, you don't have to deal with a hundred kids every year, like running around, like their personal problems. You just kind of do your work. And so I had fears about this, like, am I throwing away, like, like as an electrician, so many people want that job. I was lucky enough to get that job, like, you know, into the trade union and uh, people thought I was crazy and I, and I just threw it away. Um, but that's kind of has more to do with my personality. Um, but okay, so I had these fears, you had these fears, and I'm sure that all the listeners have fears about giving up like what do they lose when they move abroad and what can they possibly gain but before we we can talk about that i want to 
I mean, for me, Stephen, I had those fears. I was like, what the hell am I doing on that airplane? Like, oh my God. But then you get to your job and it's all real and it's all happening. And for me, that fear evaporated so quickly. How, how long did it take you for the, all that fear to just disappear? And you're just like, now I'm here. This is life. Here we are. Uh, does that fear disappear eventually? Yeah, I had the same experience as you when you're there and you're breathing and smelling and connecting with people and, and appreciating. It's just like, like exactly the same when it evaporates. And it's just kind of like being in the present moment. And as long as you feel safe and you feel like, you know, you're, you're interacting and it's, you're learning, it's, it can be intimidating if there is a, a language barrier. I think that's really hard. Um, but I think when you just, you get off the plane, you start to get a bit of a feel for how things are and you're in the present moment. It's, it's, for me, it's really exciting and invigorating and, and, um, extremely rewarding. Like I love, you know, throw me in another country. It's, it's, I think it's the most exciting thing to do ever, but yeah. And then if you're the more focused that you are on your goals, like if you have, you know, things to do, or I'm here to teach and I'm here to, or I'm here to, you know, learn Spanish or learn Thai or whatever then it's just like your brain just focuses on that. And, you know, all the fear I think should just dissipate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. There's just so much stimulation, so much excitement. I mean, there's so many things to take your mind off that fear and you're never alone, right? Like once you get, you take that leap, you go and teach, you're in a community of people who are in the same boat as you, who had the same fears of you as you and who are now, living the life that you actually wanted to experience. And once you're there, you, you make good friends. I mean, uh, for the listeners, I met Stephen in my second year of teaching, and I think it was his second year of teaching too. And then I moved away, uh, I would say one or two years later, I think it was like one, one year later, or one and a half years later, one year later. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, but look, I'm still talking to Stephen. I consider Stephen a great friend of mine. I feel like we bonded through these experiences. We went through the same tumultuous times, but also we saw the evaporation of all these fears and all the joy and all the greatness from like the music on the streets to the dress, to the kindness of the human soul, even in the most remote of places. And Stephen was talking about a language barrier. Yeah, that's a real, that's a real situation. Um, but remember like, Body language is like half of your communication and people understand you. If, even if you don't know their language, they can help you and people want to help you. So you have a community right away when you get into teaching, okay? So you have friends that speak your language. You have a community. We always get together or we try to. Um, I think Stephen and I, our lives are changing because we have kids. So we don't go out as much with the other teachers anymore or I don't really at all uh, because I have a family, you know, and that kind of changes things. But uh, Fear is true. Um, it will happen. Um, you are giving up certain things, but they might not be as important as you think they are. And also that fear dissipates immediately. You have a community so quick and you are just stimulated, distracted by the beauty, distracted by the kindness, distracted by the flavors, the sounds, uh, just everything, man. Like, yeah, catching a bus is it a super fascinating it's a, it's a, experience an adventure yeah it's seriously <laughs> it's an, adventure. an adventure and it's feels good when you're able to do it but i love what you said about body language right like if you are a humble person and you don't take yourself too seriously the things that you can communicate with just a few 
like few words is unbelievable, right? And if you, as long as you, if you don't take yourself too serious, it's just kind of like, I remember um, this one guy, he was a British dude and he was calling, he was, he was purposely mixing up manana with um, manzana, like <laughs> the word for tomorrow and apple, right? And a Thai, um, I keep saying Thai, the Colombian girls were just cracking up laughing you know he was just always mixing them up and he was doing it on purpose most of the time it was just it was just hilarious um but yeah he's he knew hardly any spanish but like he would just have a, just a a ball every time that he tried to speak spanish and would communicate and he would he'd always get what he wanted and the other thing that you said is really true as well like you know like i've felt that a lot of time like a a, a bunch of times i'm like I'm in a classroom with kids or I'm collaborating with teachers or I'm with my, you know, my now Colombian wife. And I was like, and, and I say to myself, like, wow, I'm never alone. I, you know, I came here alone, but I'm never alone. You know, it's, it's always been, I've always been, you know, and it just, if, if you're a good human being, you're always going to find people to connect with. And, you know, you're, you're never alone. You're always connecting with somebody. And it's, that's a beautiful thing too. Um, but it's just this, you know, what do you, you know, there is a definitely, I think, you know, there needs to be a little bit of honesty and to say that, you know, if you're going into a developing country, right. And your salary is like 25% of what it could be if you're working in, you know, in, in Europe or if you're working in, you know, United States, Canada, Australia, et cetera, et cetera, a developed country, you know, a lot of people might think that you're crazy. You know, like my family have, have definitely, I think being very skeptical about my, you know, the wisdom of teaching abroad for long periods of time, because they're like, my dad's like, well, why would you, you know, you can earn a hundred thousand dollars doing the same job in Australia. You know, why would you do teaching Colombia and earn $20,000 or whatever, like, well, 10,000, that doesn't make any sense. And there is truth to that, but you know, it's, it's a lot about what you prioritize. I think if, and if you prioritize the experience, if you prioritize the living and you prioritize the giving, the money is always going to be secondary. Not to say that you can't be an effective, great teacher and influence and still build a life of uh, financial independence and integrity. You still can. Um, but I think that you've got to be aware that, yeah, you know, like I could, if I had never retrained and gone back to university to be a teacher and you know, I spent that four and a half years studying part-time and working, studying full-time and working part-time and, and, you know, moving to Colombia and, and teaching abroad, I would have five times as much money or 10 times as much money as I have now for sure. But would I have yeah. these experiences and, you know, yeah. could I talk to you in Spanish and could I be content about, you know, like feeling filled up full of experiences that Colombia has, has given me like, Colombia has changed me, man. Colombia has enriched my soul. You know, this place has filled me up so much uh, and matured me and given me so much. You know, this country has given me so much. Like I wouldn't, uh, there's no amount of money that I would, I would pay or I would, you know, there is no amount, there is no amount of money that you would trade for that because it's, it's worth so much more than pieces of paper. Absolutely, man. And Colombia is a very special place and it's a wonderful place. But I'd like, you know, for to 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 well, just to to actualize the fact that, you know, basically that happens everywhere, right? So Colombia is a special place, but 
Thailand, I feel the same as you. Like, so we're talking about gains and losses, right? And we sacrifice this comfortable income, uh, being with people that know our culture and just security, comfort, uh, and we sacrifice that. But Stephen's now talking about the gains, right? And how do we grow? What do we gain from living abroad? And I love that you said that Columbia, you're, that Columbia has changed you. I mean, you're still the same person. You're just a super, uh, a, <laughs> a, a super Stevo. You're, you're different. You're, you're more mature, developed. You're way more intelligent, um, and you have experiences to fill novels and books, man. And that's the way I feel. Like even in Thailand, like it fills me up. First, it break. It can have moments of t that break you down because you have to question everything you have to challenge yourself to 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 kind of shake all those things that you were programmed to do and to know and to think right like because every country has its own perspective and the culture consumes the individual and it, they wear it on their clothes right it's in their hair it's in their cells and the moment you get away there is going to be discomfort along the journey but this is only because you're expanding you're growing you're like starting to be able to see things from a different um, vantage point. And, you know, and, and it's, it's fascinating. I feel like Thailand's changed me. It's made me more humble. It's made me more patient, for sure. I'm still working on that, but it's a continual growth, right? The tree doesn't grow overnight. It takes years. And uh, that's what I feel like is what's happening is I'm starting to, like a tree, reaching out, branching out, having more branches, more limbs, more fruit is being every year it's multiplying. And I really feel like this is the thing that I, um, I well, actually, I was kind of oblivious to it when I first take, took the leap, but it's what keeps me living abroad is I like am at this point where I don't think I really would ever want to live in the US again. And I know that I, I love America. I love the United States. I love the people. But I'm sorry, like, I feel like I Pandora's box is open. I, I know too much now, like, and I don't want to say I know more than anybody, but what I experience and what I know is that I know that I love this process of growing and seeing the fruits multiply and just becoming more humble and more patient. So, um, yeah, man. So what keeps you teaching abroad? I mean, it sounds like something similar, possibly. Like, is it, do you do you see yourself moving back to Australia or... To be honest, there's no way I would move back to Australia. And the same situation is I love Australia. It gave that country gave me so much and it gave my parents so much, um, including a language and education and experiences, good values, you know, good education, um, you know, but Australia is very isolated. You're, you're very, you know, you're, you're at the other end of the globe. You're not very well connected. Um, and with that isolation, you know, becomes a, the distance of tyranny where you don't get exposed to different cultures and communities and languages and ideas. So I think there's a little bit of danger with that. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you know, when you're in Europe or you're in South America, it's, it might be, um, I, I think as if you're a bit of a traveler, I think, and if you're an international teacher, you know, that like, and what I want to do and my plan is to, to go to that next country is every time you go to another country and you immerse yourself, the, the growing and the learning and the expansion that happens is just incredible. And I think that is, is, is very, very soul enriching. It's very nourishing. And it definitely gives you another 
deep layer, like an aspect of awareness that you would not have. Um, and if anything, right now, like I crave that with Colombia, I feel like I would like what keeps me here in Colombia right now is my wife and my, my daughter. Um, but I, you know, and my stepson, but I plan to, you know, I'm going to take them and let's go to South Korea, right. For a couple of years, let's go to Jordan or Morocco and live in a, um, a Muslim country and experience that. Uh, let's, let's go somewhere that's difficult. Uh, maybe we can do a couple of years in China and experience what that's like, because even through, like you said, growing is uncomfortable sometimes, right? Cause it's all out of your, your comfort zone, but a lot of it's how you process that too. If you're open-minded and you understand that, you know, it's different and it's, it's not necessarily threatening who I am, just, just like learn from it and be patient. Then it can be a very fluid process, but growth, you know, but the stimulation on your brain, man, oh God, like it's incredible, you know, go to another country and have to figure out where the shops are and figure out how to, how to say, I want some grapes, you know, or right. And, and like buy a bus ticket, you know, it just, it's, it's hard. Like if I, you know, we're going to Europe, we're going to go to Europe in four weeks, four or five weeks. And I know that well, if, if we go to Italy, it's going to be like, you got to speak some Italian, man. You know, you just, you just got to, got to do what it takes. You know, <laughs> Otherwise you, you could be, um, you know, you, you're, you, you know, you, you got to get out there and have a go. But um, the second time that you, you know, they say that your third language is always easier to learn than your second language, right? Cause you understand the process and yeah. you know, the third country, you know, you've been to a few countries and taught in a few countries, like, you know, the transition from China to Thailand, you've got a lot more Colombia, China, you know, the, the States, you've got more data there to assess and to, to sift through, right? Like, what was it like, you know, for you, even comparing China through, through to Thailand, I imagine that you might've felt, you know, two Asian countries, but totally different, totally different. Oh yeah, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you it, you know this is one of the things you start to learn when you live abroad, right? We we try to simplify things, especially when we stay home in one culture and that's all we know. We tend to like group uh, different peoples into one lump sum, and they're all Asians. That isn't true. Uh, Chinese are as different from Thais as Americans are from. Uh, Indians, like, or uh, let me, or Russian, well, Russian wouldn't be a good one, but like Indian, right? Like where the religion's different, where, I mean, everything's different. China is more strict on time and punctuality than the U.S. Thai's not strict on punctuality at all. Chinese people are typically quiet. Chinese students are much, they're way more behaved and quiet in the classroom and disciplined. Thai students are not, right? So, um, there's this thing called Columbia time, right? And then we also know of New York, a New York minute, whatever. Um, and Thai time has its own time and it's being late is normal uh, for students, for teachers. It's just acceptable. It is not, it is punishable in China. It, they are two totally different cultures, so radically different. And it's not just like a capitalist versus uh, social or communist it's, it's not even that at all even though that is a difference uh 
It's way beyond that. So yeah, you start to learn these things as you grow. And then to say that China is one place is also very ignorant, right? Like, because if you're from the south of China, you are so different from the capital. Um, or let's use Colombia as an example, right? Like, you live in Bogota, it's the huge uh, metropolis capital, it makes the laws, it dictates this and that. But is Bogota, Colombia? Uh, Just a part of Colombia. Yeah, it's like uh, an arm, right? Um, yeah. Or whatever. It's one of the arteries. I don't know. But even Colombia by itself is so radically different. The people in Cali, de Santiago, Colenos are so different than the Rolos or people from Bogota. The Paisas are different. The Costeños or the people from the coast are different. And everybody, no offense to you, Stephen, but everybody looks at Bogota and they call it the cold, the, like Nevada. Nevada. Right, and it's Nevada. Not just, yeah, the fridge. Nevada, yeah, it's, it's the fridge. And they don't mean just cold because it, it does get cold. It is cold. But they're actually talking about also the people, right? And the culture and the government. And a lot of people say Bogota, like if you live outside of Bogota, they'll say Bogota isn't really Colombia. Mm. you know that's a great that's metaphor you know that's then that, that's very true it's a great metaphor and that's too. the same everywhere the people in beijing are so different than the people like um well i'm not gonna say hong kong but like let's say in the um the the south okay the south or the east right in the eastern um parts of the the country it's completely different people completely different culture so anyways yeah i think as you start living abroad you start to see these realities and, and it makes you question everything that you've known before. And I find that the journey, you said that the, you were talking about the growing pains, right? Growing pains are real. Yes, growing can hurt, but it's like, it's like an adventure, right? The whole thing, all those little problems get solved. And this like reaffirms what you're doing. You're like, wow, I can solve any problem in the world now, right? Like all those problems, are the things you remember the most. You know, a great story isn't void of conflict. No, every great requires, story is requires conflict. conflict. Yeah. It requires conflict. And the best of stories have many conflicts. But remember, there's resolution. And to 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 solve these problems, to get over those mounds and those mountains um, is the greatest reward of life. Yeah, I think so because it's it's you're growing and you're expanding and you're becoming more than you were and and really like there's not a lot that feels more satisfying than that. Um, and the difference between being a tourist and I've been a tourist a lot and and working in a country is is huge. You you really start to when you're a tourist you sort of like it's like window shopping. You know, you you're there and you're looking around and you're like, oh, that looks nice. And I might take a little bit of this and a bit of that. And you, you, your interaction with the local people are very, very limited. Um, you know, if you're lucky and you speak a bit of language, you can, you can get a bit of an idea of what's happening, but it's you're usually there for a brief amount of time and you go somewhere else. Uh, but when you're working in a country, oh God, that changes everything. You know, you just, you just, you're forced to meet people and connect and work with them. And, you know, you establish a routine and, you see people that have been doing the same thing there for 20 years or 30 years. And you see young people and old people and you see, you start to absorb what's the, the energy of the place and the, and the, and the ideology and the culture and the way of thinking. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And, 
doing it traveling is i think it's hard you can do it like i spent like a month in cuba and i felt like i got a, a really good good feel but i i but i was living with cubans as well so that when i was living with them i was learning a lot from them you know when you're working with people it's like all right i'm working with some thai people colombian people or cuban people you know, and you you start you you enter their world all right yeah and you enter their reality and you're almost like a guest in in their reality you're definitely a guest in their country right yeah. and then you uh you just start to to breathe it in and soak it up and you start to see and 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 really become aware it's oh that lady she goes down the street every morning at eight o'clock with the bread you know with with her bread and she does that and you know that old guy does this and you know and then you start then you know and then you, you start becoming a bit more incorporated and they get to know you and then you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really is a beautiful thing. You become part of their culture and community. So, absolutely. yeah. You know, one of the things I remember that I love, so living abroad, like what we're saying, there's all these amazing, shocking, stimulating, wonderful experiences that you witness just all the time. Like I remember when I was in Colombia, um, and I was, I think I was drinking coffee at a cafe and there was an old woman up on like the third floor and she lowered a bucket with a rope down. And I saw this bike coming. He wasn't stopped yet, but he was coming like ringing a bell, ding, 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 ding. And he was on his bicycle and he had some baskets on it. She, he, she lowered the basket like, and it was coming down. And as he stopped, it literally like met him perfectly. Like it was just like time so perfect he loaded uh oh in her basket she had knives he was sharpening her knives and i sat there and i watched and he sharpened her knives for about five six minutes and then he put them in the basket and she reeled it back up and they said goodbye i mean these little things that you see yeah. or the time i was sitting in via vicencio and they were cutting the school lawn this is not a house lawn this is a school lawn so we're talking a huge piece of land the guy was sitting there cutting the lawn with a knife and he was so fast and so good at it. I was like, that's good for the environment. No gas, no electricity. He's just, and he was killing it. Like everything was cut perfect. And I was like, how does he do that? Like but with the big machete? Yeah, it was like a, it was like a, yeah, a machete. It was a, yeah, okay. yeah, it wasn't a small hand knife. It was a machete, but he was just like, yeah, just his movements just hacking it away. And it was so like, man, it was these little things fill you with wonder. And it's so magnificent. And these are just small things. Yeah, these are just really small things. Uh, I would do want to say one more thing about Stephen was saying, you're immersing yourself in a culture, you get to know these people, you get to see their like antics, their, you know, their gait, the way they they move and think and act differently than we do. But another cool thing about uh, international teaching uh, is that you work with people um, that are from all over the world, right? I'm from Alaska. Steven's from Australia. We work together. And when we worked there, we worked with two Jamaican women. We worked with, uh, again, of course, a lot of Colombians. Uh, we worked with a Venezuelan. I mean, this is the life, right, that you live. So it's you're really living in that culture and you're getting so much from it, but you're also gaining international cultures from all over the world right now i work with south africans english welsh zimbabwe's kenyans because they're they're native english speakers so they, they, they but they you know it's people all over the world my colleagues 
are from the four corners of the earth, you know, and this is, we all think different, but yet we're all those same types of people that are kind of alone. So we become friends immediately. It's just kind of a survival thing, but it is fascinating, man. I've learned so much just from my colleagues that have nothing to do with Thailand. Right. Um, so that's another perk, uh, to anyone that's listening is that your colleagues will also be colors of the rainbow, right? It's not just, you're not just, it's Colombia all the time, China all the time. No, no. Um, it's, it's an international world. It's connected and you're going to be working with people from all over and it's pretty darn cool. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause I remember working with those Jamaican girls as well. And then, you know, there, there's, it's sometimes it's not always pretty cause you might engage in conflict with them, but you, you still come out of that with, with a different perspective. Um, but I really, I think that's a great point because when you become an international teacher, you're teaching English in another country, there is always other international teachers and you, you connect with them and you can always learn from them. Right. And what I love about that situation is that I don't have to convince them that international teaching is the shit, right? I don't have to convince them that what I'm doing is, is great because they all think the same way because they've, they've obviously all chosen that path. But besides uh, self-validation, you know, it, you, you're working with people with that same ideology and they do appreciate that. So, you know, you, you might work with other Americans or, people from England and they just, they see the value in, oh, you know, and I work with teachers that have done, you know, four or five different international schools, right? Teachers that have come from China, from Dubai, from literally uh, from Thailand, from Africa, from, you know, different, different continents, different countries, you know, and they've worked at three, four or five, and you don't even know. It's like, what did, what, what you worked in Dubai for five years? What you were like department um, head. You're like, wow. When did that, when did that happen? It's like, yeah, well, I was working in Spain for five. You, you were working in Spain. Right. And it's just, it's just, it's a shock. You're like to think that these people have so much experience and, you know, it's just, it's kind of like they're just hidden gems and you start asking questions and, I literally was talking to the other English teacher. Well, one of the other English teachers, and she told me that she worked in Spain for a few years. She was the uh, head teacher in Dubai. And um, she, she, she had stories about her traveling around through Cuba and she met uh, Fidel Castro. And I was like, holy moly, like, what is your life? Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's people have such, again, like you're mentioning, like such, you're exposed to all these different countries, other teachers, the ideology, and they've got so much great wisdom and insight. Uh, and I feel like that's so valuable, you know, so precious, valuable, insightful, and 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 um, yeah, just really, it's just a really beautiful thing to connect with these people and and then for them to share their insights. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for the majority of international teachers just being that person that shows that path ultimately for the most part you know there's special characters out there everywhere but for the most part it humbles people so these people that were heads of i mean again not always but these people that were have these great experiences they've taught in multiple countries they've been heads of uh you know international schools or what it doesn't matter they still come back down to earth 
and they land right next to you and they're happy to share their experiences with you. They're, 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 they're excited that you're excited about their experiences. And ultimately they're just kind, humble people, you know? Um, and I think that's true for the majority uh, of international teachers. It's just the experience you gain from living abroad as you become more sympathetic, uh, more patient, more humble, and you've got great, great stories to tell and people want to listen. I agree. The flip side to that, is there the type of, um, well, there is the flip side to that, I've worked with um, international teachers that maybe their first, you know, gig is Columbia, maybe they're first, and they're a bit young and they're a bit, um, they're, a they're, they're a little bit more immature and they're kind of like criticizing uh, the country. But I, you know, that happens, I think, because they're younger. But I also feel like you've got to be patient with those people too, because then they're relatively new teachers. They're in their late 20s or mid 20s. They're growing up uh, and they're, they're learning. And it's just, it's their growing pains, I think, expressed in ways that aren't, that aren't very mature at the moment. But I think that with more time and with more exposure, that they'll change. Um, you know, yeah. you know, back. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, you're right, and I'm glad you touched on that because I think that's a very important part. You know, like um, back to my tree analogy that I was saying earlier about growing new branches and multiplying fruit. Uh, these new teachers, they're young and they're like saplings, right? They're like little sapling and they're very delicate and they can be broken really easy. Um, but this is growing. You don't grow overnight. You grow over years, over time. And I have teachers like that too. I have to hear that, that complaining going on, uh, the uncertainty in their voice, you know, the fear. You can still, some people hold on to the fear a little bit longer than others. Um, but yeah, a lot of complaining and shit talking about co the culture they're living in and the, the government and uh, whatever. But that's just because they're, they're young, they're delicate, they're easily broken, right? If someone cuts you off or almost hits you on the road, they're easily broken. They're, they're angry. They're so, they snap really easily. But as, you, as time goes, all these experiences are nourishments to your soul uh, and to your character, right? And these saplings, if they do it long enough, eventually grow stronger and stronger. And then they grow more and more branches, which help them perceive in different, you know, different, uh, in different ways and, and from different perspectives. It allows them to see from different perspectives. And as these experiences and these nourishments continue to happen, um, you just have so many tools, so many branches, uh, you know, to help you solve these problems. And they stop being problems, really. They just become normal life. So that's all I want to say about that. But it is true. You will experience people that are very uncomfortable. And culture shock's a real thing. So this is going to happen. I mean, I've been in Thailand now for over four years, or about four years straight, consecutive. Um, and you know, I still have days, you know, I'm still growing, you know, I'm still branching out, you know, and I, and sometimes I, I, you know, I forget, you'll never shake your culture completely. Um, but you'll learn how to uh, appreciate others and accept um, and to, to see the light instead of the darkness. There's just too much, 
too many beautiful things living in Colombia or Thailand or wherever you're at. And they far outweigh um, the bad things. But it's that it's that saying, you know, a hundred airplanes uh, go into land at the airport. 99 of them land and people get on their way, go back to their homes or go to their hotels and have wonderful vacations. But no one talks about the 99, right? They always talk about the one that didn't make it. And this is my warning, uh, or sorry, I shouldn't say warning, but I don't want to give advice to those who want it. But this is my piece of advice is think about the 99 airplanes that landed and had wonderful experiences, ate at great restaurants, you know, did amazing things. Don't think about the one, but the one does exist. And it can be really sad or tragic or frustrating. Um, and those things happen. And, and just forgive yourself for that when you snap, but, but recorrect because we are lucky to have these experiences and to be welcome in these foreign countries. Yeah. And if, if you want to live abroad and if you haven't traveled, I think that it's like that as corny as it sounds, that growth mindset, right. Of just being tolerant and being patient and observing and, you know, not criticizing and just like understanding and, and building empathy. Right. And that's the, that's the tools that will help you grow. But there's always, I think, and if you have that, you'll always grow and you'll be fine. But I have seen people last a year and go back home and they haven't made it. Um, the people that are a bit rigid, if they're rigid or if they're not flexible and they, they can't get their head around it, then it's just not for them and they just don't feel comfortable. Then they'll, they'll, they'll go back home and they'll be fine and they'll take something out of it and they'll be like, well, wasn't for me and no big deal. And uh, they'll move on with their lives, you know, but it's really, um, it's how you process it internally. I think that will, you know, and how determined you are too of like, you know, do I'm going to let, how do I, how do I process something that happens to me that I wasn't expecting or I wasn't comfortable with? And, you know, I, one of the international teachers that I'm really good friends with, he's Canadian. He's been in Colombia for 20 years and he was walking with his wife, his uh, wife's friend. And uh, they're walking down the streets going from bar to bar. And he said they got robbed. His wife actually got robbed by um, some motorbike uh, thieves, right? So what they did, they drove up in there. They just basically passed them, passed his wife on a motorbike, snatched her handbag and just kept going. And I said, oh, what happened? And he, he told me exactly the, basically exactly that. And, he, in the, and I was astounded because he was like, man, they did it so well. Like I was, I was so impressed by how, how quickly they were able to just steal a handbag and, and just right away, you know, and it's just, man, it was like, we didn't even notice. <laughs> and and it, he was, I'm like, your wife just lost a handbag and like, wasn't a lot of money. And I'm like, you're not even a, a remotely pissed off. He's like, Oh, what can you do? I lost, you know, we lost a few thousand pesos, which is nothing, you know, it's a bit of a pain in the ass, but like, what do you do? You could just laugh and move on. Right. And, you know, I just, I loved his attitude, like something like what could be perceived as bad and the way that he processed it, he was just like, he, he, he saw the humor in it and he saw that <laughs> he, he, he just, he was like, well, you know, it's going to happen. You know, people are, people are desperate out here, <laughs> you know? And uh, like, that's pretty, that's an extreme example. Like, and I haven't seen a lot of people being able to process a rubbery like that, but I tell you what, like there was absolutely no negativity oozing from him and, you know, he was sincere and he was authentic. And 
whatever happens to him in Colombia, you know, he will be always be able to bounce back because he will not, he will refuse to be angry. And I think that's, you don't have to take it to that extreme, but you know, he's, he, I like his mindset. It just, and he was right. I'm like, well, your wife, you know, she didn't get hurt. Nobody got hurt. You can always buy a bag and some cards, like, you know, some credit cards and, and some money, but you know, if you get hurt, it's something else. Right. So yeah, um, there's, there's sometimes there's big problems and little problems, but I, you know, his mindset was super positive. Um, but he's been in Columbia for 20 years and seen it all. Yeah, that's the, that's like, I think one of the greatest benefits that we reap um, is that humility, that humbleness, uh, that acceptance, that forgiveness, and just that pleasure in, um, you know, just being alive, just being, experiencing mm. whatever comes your way, right? But this is a perception uh, uh thing you know and it's uh for lack of a better word thing if this is a perception issue right like it depends on the person like happy people are humble forgiving accepting and they see humor and they see they see uh light at the end of the tunnel no matter how dark it is they have this ability and i think that even if you're not innately born or like naturally have that quality that if you stick it out over the years, you gain that um, just by living abroad, you know, you start to accept things, you know, um, the way it is, you know, there's been times, you know, like I said, when I was a sapling, when I was new to living abroad, there was a lot of angry moments. And, you know, I typically would try to like, find a scapegoat, right? And what's easier than blaming the culture and the people that you're living amongst who aren't like you, it's just easier. But over time, I started going, dude, I'm the one that's wrong. Like, you know, I am the one that's, and, and, you know, it's the way I was seeing things, you know, and I think that my problems came about just by the way I was thinking, right? They weren't, I was manifesting them myself, um, but that's okay. Like that was part of my process, you know, and because I have those memories, now I'm a lot slower to react. I'm a lot more thoughtful and I always check myself. And offer, oftentimes it's user error, <laughs> you know, so, but that's the beauty. I can laugh at myself. I can see myself as just another human being trying to make it by, trying to be the best I can. And am I flawed? Yes, I am. But am but I growing in the direction I want to? Absolutely. But the fact that you're able, you were able to go through that process was aware of that in metacognition and your thinking and and then choose to do kind of better and choose a disposition that was more positive, you know, that's extremely empowering. And I think that's, that's where the wisdom is. Right. And that you, you benefit from that you become, um, you become, you adopt a lot more of those positive attributes. I definitely feel a lot happier, you know, because, you know, especially changing, you know, I used to work in real estate. Uh, it was, it was a very kind of what I felt very meaningless type of job. Um, you know, it wasn't very uh, community-based, connection-based, human-based, very economically-based. But like you said, man, those small moments are really beautiful. Just walking down the street and observing and seeing and smelling the smelling the food that's cooking on the side of the street, you know, looking at the people and just, you know, appreciating. I feel like you get a lot of juice out of life because there's so much diversity and, and spontaneity and, and 
just beautiful, pleasurable moments. And I think just that can make you a lot more happy to be alive. You know, like I always walk into my school and I look at the mountains and the fog and I'm like, wow, where am I? You know, and been here for six years and I'm still getting my eyeball kicks, you know, and, and you know, riding, uh, riding on the, my motorbike and in the, in the middle of Bogota and looking at the, the people and the, and the city moving and the, the feel of the place and just feeling alive, you know, and it's, I feel like that's uh, very powerful. There's a lot of juice in the moment that when you're in the, the monotony and you're kind of grinding along, I, I feel like you don't get to experience that. So I think that's, yeah. a, that's a big part of that stimulation that keeps you, keeps you alive, keeps you strong, and, and it, feels, it feels good. Yeah, it does. It does, you know, and it's like, it is the small things that add up. I mean, the big things are wonderful too. Like I've bought, I bought my first house in my, in my life, you know, and it's here in Thailand in a foreign country. Like these big things are awesome. I've had a kid. Holy cow. This is amazing. He's half Thai. This is awesome. My family, I have Thai family. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so those are the big things, but it's those little things too. And it's like every interaction that you have going into the marketplace, going down the street in your neighborhood and beginning to be recognized by your neighbors and then you know the conversations you have uh just those little interactions are so wonderful and so man i i i can't think of the word right now i mean i'm just going to use a weak one but just uh lovely i guess lovely moving you know yeah. i went early on in my ventures here um i i went to a lady right and part of the culture here in in specific areas is to negotiate you know just to negotiate a little bit barter negotiate the price a little bit um i don't recommend doing that if you have money but if if you're tight someone's going to help you um but i was at this place right and i knew that she had calvin klein she was selling calvin klein and I knew, you know, in Thailand, they don't have the copyright uh, laws at the same level as like the West or the U.S. or whatever. So you get a lot of, uh, you know, replicas. <laughs> and, this, and I and but it was nice. Re there were nice replicas. And I was like, I forget what the price was, like 500 baht. But I was like, I think they're worth 300. Right. Like if that maybe 150. Um, and I was trying to negotiate with the lady and she budged to 400 and i was like no no how about three and she goes oh please sir i have rice but no water you know and i just started busting up right so the humor is so radically different right like i have rice but no water i can't cook my rice please don't rip me off is what she's saying and I just laughed my ass off and I paid her the 400 baht and I kind of wish I would have given her 500 baht. Um, so that was a wonderful experience. But then that experience continues to grow. What you find out is that these vendors aren't paid any money. There's no salary. They just live on commission, right? They're like used car sales salesmen, but without the salary, the, the minimum base pay. They're not. So they need to kind of get as much as they can while they can. But it was just a hilarious thing. I don't think I repeated it to you as funny as it was, but she's like, oh, please, sir, I have rice, but I have no water. And it was just like, what? What does that even mean, dude? Like, and I just started, and then I got it, and it was hilarious, dude. So these are the little things, you know, and then you continue to grow and learn more about them. So 
you know, people that want to teach abroad, I highly recommend it, even if it's just for one or two years. If, if you can't find your comfort zone or, or, or get your feet under you, that's okay. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's just not for you. But why not try, right? Like, you never know. Uh, I know that, Stephen, you got a master's degree before you went off teaching. So that, I think that was, well, obviously, that was your plan to become a teacher, whereas mine my experience, like I always respected good teachers. And at points in my life, I thought, oh, that'd be cool to be a teacher, but I never wanted to be a teacher. Like because of the pay and the, all the kids, I was like, ugh. But I was traveling in South America and uh, Colombia. And as I was, my money was running out, um, I thought, oh my God, I'm in Mexico. Next stop is the US border. And I started to freak out, dude. Anyways, long story short, I ended up busting my ass and I got a job in Colombia and flew from Mexico City back to Bogota. And uh, I haven't turned back since. And I have found my true passion, which is becoming a good communicator, helping others reach their goals, helping them find their ground in this earth, on this planet, right? Uh, embracing who they are, respecting themselves and building confidence. I found that as my passion. And that's what teachers do. So here I am, you know, six, seven years, six years of teaching. Um, and I love it, man. I found a new career. But again, if, if, if you're not comfortable, just try it once. Just get those little fruits, those little nuggets of joy, those crazy experiences. And then you can always go home. Yeah. Just one or two years. I and agree. I agree with that. Because it's not like if you did a year or two abroad, you can always go back. Yeah, you, you can always go back. But what you said there too is it's you know when you connect with the kids the real juice is the the relationships it's connecting with the kids it's the positive influences and the sharing of your culture the ideas and those especially lots of international kids they're very global minds they're minded they're aware of different countries different ideologies a lot of them are very well educated and they they, they glean a lot from you when you talk about your own country and then you compare the United States with Australia and capitalism and the great American, great Colombian dream. And it's very powerful because you're, you become a leader and a mentor and um, a guide and you become, you know, you become someone that shares ideas and, and you can try to motivate them and inspire them and, you know, and, and just be a, a good guide, really like a good mentor, which is, which is really powerful. But the last thing you said too, which is really interesting is that, just because you teach abroad doesn't mean you can't have the big things too. Like, you know, I got married here in Colombia. Um, I had a daughter here in Colombia. You know, we're in the process of buying an apartment here in Colombia. You know, are we going to live here forever? Probably not. You know, I'm probably going to end up in Europe at some stage. I've got a European passport. Uh, and, you know, I want to teach in different countries. You know, maybe we'll come back here. But, you know, the, this roadmap of, you know, your parents and society gives you this roadmap and says, you know, you need to go from A to B to C and to D. And then sometimes it's just simply not true. You know, I never thought that I could buy an apartment at 40 years old. You know, if I did that in Australia, it'd be, it'd be quite tough. But, you know, if you're willing to kind of think out of this, the box a little bit, and I don't want to say that international teaching is, is a way of hacking life, but it sure as hell feels like it sometimes, you know, where you get lots of really cool perks. Um, you know, if you work at a good international school, They'll pay for your flights into that country. That obviously they pay for your apartment at a lot of schools. They give you, they 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 look after you financially. Um, so you can save money and you can eventually 
you know, have that stability and invest and, you know, raise a family and do all that beautiful stuff that, you know, people might say, oh, you know, that people have this idea. If you're going to be an international teacher, you're going to go to Thailand, you're going to be in the Buddhist robes and, you know, just be working out of pure altruism, um, you know, living in a, a very shum, like humble abode. It's just not true. You know, like you can go to Thailand as an international, international teacher and make very respectable salary um, and, and, you know, experience, have a good life. That is not, it's just not the typical roadmap that you've been sold. And I just yeah, don't. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot of the greatest, you know, thinkers and uh, a lot of the greatest like inventors and uh, self-made people did not do what was comfortable and play safe. They took huge risks and that's why they succeeded because they, they did things that they wanted to do, not what they were told to do. And we're all told to do these things, you know, um, but you know, like, Stephen, you were saying that you can be taken care of and you can. So if you're that, 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 if you don't have a teaching degree and you just want to live abroad, you're going to make enough money to survive. Um, but if you're a serious teacher, like Stephen said, eventually you get to places where you can thrive. You're not lower class. You're in the middle class for sure. Um, uh, I would argue. Um, and they take care of you. There are perks and there's benefits. But, um, and you know, and, and it's wonderful. Um, and and the, the longer you stick at it, like you see Stephen and myself here, we are now long-term, uh, we're, we're committed to our jobs and, and we're starting to reap rewards for that. You know, I can travel, I can eat very well. I can have bad habits uh, that cost too much, you know? And like, um, but I, I do want to say that teaching in general is for the, is for the, the experiences and the relationships you have. I want to read a me email to you. Is that okay? Please. Um, so as I've, and I've got quite a few of these, but I love this student a lot, but I love all my students, but I've gotten a lot of these and I'm starting to get more and more every year, but this, I just got uh, March 25th, 2022. So a student of mine asked me, he said he wanted to go to Bangkok, Bangkok prep, which is this really good school for the science he wants to get into. Um, and I was like, yeah, man, I'll write you a letter of reference, you know, I'll, I'll yeah, and then blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I got an email from his mother. So this is after I sent out the letter of reference, right? Um, uh, very professional. I had the director sign it. So it was legit. Um, it was on a school letterhead and all that. But it says, Dear Teacher John, and this is the mother. I hope this email finds you well, Ka. Uh, Ka just is a respectful term. May I inform you a very good news of Prod. We got confirmation from Bangkok Prep yesterday that Prod is now accepted to Bangkok Prep Ka. Now we just await for scholarship program approval. Finger crossed for that. And then she says, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for the recommendation and teaching and guiding Prod in your English class. If you need any help in the future, please do not hesitate to contact me or Prod any time. Now, this is the mother of one of my students who I've never met. Obviously, Prod's a good kid. I wrote him a good cover letter. Uh, and then just two weeks ago, um, I got another pretty awesome email from Prod himself. Uh, and Prod says, Dear Teacher John, 
It's me, Prod. I'm here to tell you that I finally got the Bangkok Prep Scholarship. Thank you so much for being my teacher in grade eight and helping me become a better version of myself and guiding me in the right direction. Again, thank you so much. And I'll always thank you for believing in me. Hope to see each other in the future. That's beautiful. And he sent me a picture of his scholarship, right? Attached in the email. So this shit, man, is that's the gold, buddy, right that's there. The that's gold. the gold. I can, I, can, I can live okay and I'll soon make more money than I'm making now. And I can live successfully, but that's not why I teach at all. Um, this is why I teach. And I got multiple of these, right? But I didn't have a mother-child combo. I got about seven of these this year because in ninth grade, many students transfer to new schools to upper secondary, right? They, their parents pay more and get them into better schools that are very... Uh, um, specific program, program specific. Uh, but these are the things, man. It's so cool, right? Like uh, a, a, a person, I, a, a parent of one of my students offered me, like, if I ever need help, just reach out and tell us. We'll do what we can. You know, and then a student telling you, thank you for steering me in the right direction and making me become a better version of myself or the best version of myself. I mean, that's pretty awesome, man. That is. That's all I need to hear, man. I'll take a pay cut. <laughs> That's yeah. Actually, no, no, no. And listen, to listen up. to that language is a better version of myself. Like being aware of that as a young kid, right. And then having someone that they, they trust and that you've been able to influence and guide them and to motivate them to, to, to strive for that, you know, like, man, I wish I had that as, as a young person, having someone, you know, you know, believing me, you know, that's just so powerful. You know, that kid will never forget you, you know, like, and you know that the and that's just that's just what you did as a as a personal emotional social level not as a professional level and nothing to do with the actual english right that was everything to do with you know self-confidence um you know self-confidence integrity character building you know and 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 lifting that kid up so that he can be you know he can be more potentially more successful in whatever he does Absolutely, man. And that's, that's what I strive for. And I, you know, and uh, like I said, this is why I continue to teach. And I think I'll teach for many years to come. Um, we just got a lot of kids, you know, we have the power to impact people's lives in a positive way. And even if you're down at the ESL level, you can still, your students will still remember you because you're special. You're, you're someone that came, they, they respect teachers in most countries. I don't know about in the U.S., but uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but in most countries, they have a high regard for teachers. And yeah, just be yourself. And if you're helpful, they'll never, ever forget it, no matter at what level you teach. Um, and as you become a better teacher, these things start to happen more and more, right? Like my students know they can come talk to me about personal problems. And I make that very clear on the first day. Um, and then I reiterate it throughout the week. Uh, of the first week of the year, because I need them to know that I am their friend. I'm here to help them. Uh, friend is maybe not the correct term, but yeah, I'm friendly. You know, I'm I'm there for them, and that uh, I think they they appreciate that. You know what I mean? That there's someone else out there they can talk to if they need to. So, yeah, man, I love it. I love my life. Um, I really feel blessed to be here. And while I'm a, you know, I've grown a lot. Uh, I. I believe there's so much more room to grow through many, many more wonderful experiences. 
maybe some more conflicts that I can resolve, which is a reward in itself. Um, but this journey is ever changing and ever improving. And it is a blessing for sure. I, I would imagine you feel the same. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. And, you know, not to take anything away from teachers that work in their home country. I feel like that's got to be said too. Uh, you know, is that I've met and worked with teachers, Australian teachers, and they work at public schools and private schools, lots of public school teachers, and they're extremely dedicated. It's their vocation and they work hard and they're excellent at connecting with those kids. Um, I think they're real soldiers you know, the men and women that work because they, they don't have the cultural stuff. They do it because it's just all for the kids, right? Yeah. You know, and a lot of times they're not getting paid. In Australia now, they've, they've increased the salaries of teachers and it's, it's a much more, I think, respected profession. But, you know, adrenaline, if you study for four years, you know, after you might cap out as a you know, cap out, you know, you might hit a, a cap of about $100,000 in Australia as a, as a teacher, and that's a classroom teacher forever. Um, if you're a, an accountant or you're, you work in construction or some other, you know, you, you end up making $200,000 in that, that space of that 10 years. So you might earn half the amount of money, but I think those teachers are really, they're really special people. Um, and I think they become tough as well with working with those type of kids, especially public school kids. But I think they, the, the benefit of working in an international environment is that it's a little bit, maybe it's a little bit more selfish. You get to grow a lot more, you know, you get to learn another language and you get to interact with different cultures and you get to travel and you get to, you get to get, I feel like receive just as much as you give, um, yeah. you know, whereas a lot of teachers that work, you know, teachers that I know work in Australia, they're just, they're grinding, man. And they're great teachers, but they're paying their mortgages and, and they're doing it. They're doing a, they're living, um, I don't want to say tough lives, but they're living, sometimes they're living very humble lives. Um, and just like the, the teachers that are working in, you know, that, that I work with the local hires, you know, the local Colombian teachers, they work really hard and they, they, you know, comparatively, you know, it's comparatively that they, they, they earn relatively humble salaries. And it's, I think it's, it's, it's a lot harder that if, if you work as a teacher in your own home country um, and you, you don't get the, you don't get as much, I think, at, in, to use that word, you know, phrase very loosely. So I think that's, you know, worth acknowledging and not to diminish the work that they do, because I think um, it, it's very respectable, very honorable, um, very dedicated educators. Um, but I, like, why would you settle? You know, like if these a lot of a lot of uh, public school teachers, maybe they get um, they, they get long term permanent contracts. Again, maybe that fear of change and not wanting to break their contract because they get great benefits and a good pension, whatever. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I think that, you know, if you're a public school teacher and it's, it's, if you're thinking about teaching abroad, damn, you know, like you've got so much to give, so much to offer. You know, you're very, you'll be very respected in the international game. You know, like, damn, get out there, you know, <laughs> get out there. Yeah. Do at least for a couple of years, you know, but, um, and I agree with you, but um, at the same time, I take my hat off to those teachers. They do work harder in their own country. Um, but we do need to remember, we do need good 
teachers in our home countries as well, right? Because we need to hold those nations together. And you do that through the children, right? You do that by building future leaders. And it takes really strong, hard backbone leaders to, to, to guide the people in the right direction. So I, I you know, it, I mean, ultimately it's up to you, but I respect the people that stay home and teach. They're doing a great service to, the, to our, gen, our new generations, to our children, to our communities, to our nations, and to our world. So th those are amazing teachers. Not to discredit international teachers, because I feel like we, we also are doing the same thing. But yeah, you know, like what you said about like, so we work about 7.30 to 3.30 international or us international teachers, whereas, and then we have like a three-week holiday here, two-week holiday there, three-week holiday there. And during that time, man, the Thai teachers, I was on holiday for three weeks and I saw, my, I live net down the street from one of my PE teachers. He drove by in uniform for two of those weeks with his wife, who's also a teacher at my school. It's kind of weird, dude. That's how small the world is. <laughs> my coworkers, the Thai ones are, literally live three doors down across my soy street. So I see them driving by all the time. Two weeks of that three weeks, they were working. They go to work on Saturdays often. Mm. They don't leave. I get home an hour or two before they do. Um, and they make a lot less than I do. Uh, they do have pensions. They do have full, like better healthcare than we do. I mean, way better healthcare. And they do have like pensions being built, which we don't. But we can't, right? We can just buy our own pensions and we're still working a lot less than them. So it's crazy, man. It's crazy. During New Year's, they get one week, we get three weeks. During uh, the end of the year, right? Uh, Songkran holiday, the new Thai New Year slash water festival. Um, they get one week, we get three weeks, right? So it's like, you got to have respect for people that work at home. They're always working harder, right? Um, and they're undervalued, right? Like, so as an international teacher, you, you there's a lot of benefits you gain. Your students find you interesting. Uh, other, your coworkers usually find you interesting. <laughs> Sometimes there's a little bit of conflict, right? Because they end up finding out that you make a lot more than them and work less. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of perks, man. Um, but all teachers all everywhere deserve a lot of respect, right? A lot, especially those that's tough it out in their own countries. Um, but again, we provide a service that the world needs too, right? Um, so uh, yeah, I feel blessed, man. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the Thai people um, and Colombian teachers, whatever, all people, you know, when we are in our first year in our sapling year of teaching abroad, uh, we're, we're, our eyes are closed. The horse blinders are up. We cannot see the truth. And so if a Thai teacher, they just see you and they don't like, hey, like super, like embrace you, uh, they will eventually, but a lot of teachers are in and out, right? And they, like I said, they know. And we don't know that they make a fraction of what we make. We don't know they work until we've been out long enough. Then you start to see these truths and you start to like all that respect starts to grow. Um, so anyways, I think I went on a tangent, but uh, I just wanted to say, yeah, teachers are important everywhere and they, they I believe they deserve respect. There's a couple bad ones out there, but uh, if you, yeah, give it a try. Teach abroad for one or two years and then you can always go home. It's, it's, it's actually that simple. 
It's not as hard as we make it. And just, you know, mute your friends and family. If you want to go just to experience it for one, two, five, 10 years, if you want to go, you got to mute the family. You got to mute the friends because they don't understand what you're going through and what you're thinking. So get out there, do it. You will never, ever regret that one to 10, 20 years <laughs> that you choose to do. You, you will only benefit. That's it. That's the only outcome is growth and benefit. I, I agree. Um, I really agree. And I think that's great advice because really you've got nothing to, you've got really for that small amount of time that you invest one year on the spectrum of things is really nothing. And there's a lot to gain out of that. Um, so I think that's, I think that's, you know, great advice, but ultimately, you know, it's up to the individual. Do you know, um, I have two sisters, John, and do you know, both of them are teachers. No, actually, I didn't know that. You never yeah. told me that they're both teachers. I know that you have one sister that you said's really learned. And, yeah, uh, so I've got two sisters. One of them's a high school English teacher, and the other one is an elementary teacher. She's a primary school teacher, and um, but they're both married and and working away in Australia. So yeah, they could. Um, sometimes you know what it is. Sometimes too is that sometimes young people are fortunate enough to to have these kind of um, these experiences where they might go on a, a trip. Uh, for school or uh, their parents take them somewhere and they're kind of, they, they get exposed to some travel for the first time and it just blows their minds and it opens the floodgates. Right. And sometimes people don't get to do that. So they have to sort of explore that themselves and, you know, take that leap of faith themselves. And it's a bit harder. And then like my family, my, my particular sisters, you know, they're married and they've got kids and they probably see it as something really difficult to do. So, and, and not very practical with mortgages and their husband's jobs it's different if you're if you're you know if your spouse is a teacher as well you know you're you're a foreigner and your spouse is a teacher you can get employed as a, a couple hire but um bro i think we we really gave this a good crack um i guess any last words you know unless you want to uh go on another tangent where i'm happy to to take you know to happy to you, you to take me i feel like um yeah, I feel like we could wrap this baby up. Yeah, no, man, I think it was a great discussion. I always enjoy this. And uh, um, yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a wrap, buddy. Yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah, good talking to you, John. I really enjoyed the chat as well. I, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, hey, you guys just got the, anyone that did listen to this, you guys just got the, the drift of what it's like to, you know, listen to two international teachers to share the gems of where the gold is and where the, the value is. And the whole reason for doing this podcast is to really share ideas and experiences and, and tap into that wisdom and knowledge um, that I feel is valuable. And um, yeah, you can, to be or not to be, to teach abroad or not to teach. That's the question. Knock yourselves out. Take the leap. <laughs> don't deprive yourself of a life-changing experience yeah i agree just do it just do it don't listen to your parents and don't listen <laughs> don't listen to negative nancy's they're, they're the worst <laughs> you gotta listen to your parents and you should listen to your friends if you want to keep them around but just don't take it so seriously and know that only one person knows what is actually right for you like what is calling your calling? No one knows your calling. No one ever will. It's up to you to take that leap. 
and uh yeah understand oh, they, yeah. They, they have your best interest in mind but they have no idea of your goals and your true character so just take the leap if you want to they just might be really scared for you because you might get you know sequestered in colombia you might get kidnapped in colombia maybe lose a kidney or something i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> oh just joking uh, uh, no. all nice. right buddy 